everyone. I'm Lydia. And I'm Sara. And this is Hitchcock Happy Hour. Where we analyze a film by the master of suspense himself. One Hitchcocktail at a time. Cheers. Hello, everyone, and welcome back for another episode of Hitchcock Happy Hour. I'm Lydia Jordan. And I am Sarah Shaw, and we are so excited to be talking about today's movie, Rebecca. Um, I think this movie is fantastic, and uh, it's going to be really fun to talk about. And so it's going to be a fun, wild ride of an episode. So (laughs) buckle up. (laughs) I'm so excited. Um, I'm extra excited because this weekend I... Literally went off the grid. I deleted all my social apps. It was amazing. And I did nothing to prepare but watch this film. And so I really don't have a lot to contribute except for my terrible and honest opinions. So and that go. is all we ask of you. <laughs> um, if you guys haven't caught on yet, Lydia and I take turns <laughs> leading the episode. So <laughs> that's, that's uh, one of the benefits of this, of having a co-host, is that sometimes you can just do whatever you want and watch the movie and not really pay attention and the other person will kind of guide you along so yeah I kind of feel like that's where we're at <laughs> I kind of feel like what I would imagine it's like to cheat on like a test like I feel like you're like the cool smart kid and I'm like trying to cheat off of you but I feel I feel like that when you're leading the episode and I don't do any preparation <laughs> Hey, I'm I'm here for it. Yeah, I was like, oh, is this what it's like to cheat? Because I'm, <laughs> I feel like I'm like the opposite of like everyone else. Like I've never cheated in my life. Neither of us are. Both of us are. <laughs> I'm like, like academically very straight edged. <laughs> yeah, same. I think both of us were pretty big teachers back in high school. So. Um, I am a, a people pleaser till the day I die. Yeah, that's and true. I have always been that way. I'm like, you don't love me now, but I will make you love me. I will find that one thing that we can bond over so that you have to love me. <laughs> oh my god. Well, um, yeah, this is a, that a great... That was an interesting great, start to the episode. A great segue, because this is a movie about uh, love and obsession. So um, but sh- Should we introduce our cocktail oh first? Oh my god, yes. Which is maybe why I'm feeling so open, because uh, this cocktail yeah. is not for the faint-hearted or yeah. for the... <laughs> Little, People looking uh, for something that's <laughs> low in ABV. <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much for reminding me, Lydia. Tell us what we're drinking today. <laughs> well, today we are drinking an Embarcadero. Uh, it's so good. <laughs> which is, if you like whiskey, which I don't, um, this is the drink for you. And it's kind of like, I would imagine, like a negroni for whiskey lovers yeah. kind of vibe yeah i would say it's like yeah it's it's like it's kind of like a bull yeah is it a boulevardier yeah that's what i was and, gonna say and like I, a manhattan but without the cherry it's like a mix of a negroni manhattan and boulevardier <laughs> it, has, <laughs> it has aspects of all three it, of this drink this drink has everything, everything. <laughs> It truly does, and uh, I'll tell you how I know, because I had one sip, and I'm already feeling it, so this episode's going to be... <laughs> I was we'll going to be happens. same. <laughs> I haven't had whiskey in, mm, I don't even know how many years, so... Um, is... Probably since I forced a old-fashioned down your throat um, that was, like, maybe 
like a triple version that one time. Yeah, that was a fun night. That was a fun night for sure. Oh yeah, <laughs> don't remember we were that double... night, but it was. Oh fun. yeah, didn't that end with you? I feel like we've talked about that on this podcast. We're we have. Dub- you were double fisting hot hot toddies at one point. <laughs> I was well. Not only was I double fist, I thought you were gonna say something else. Not only was I double fisting oh. hot toddies, I was double fisting <laughs> cigars you were. like a fucking psycho like Amen. i literally had two there's a video one in each <laughs> finger smoking both at the same time like yeah i love i love like tobacco when i'm very drunk yeah. and it like nothing hits the same as like a cigarette when you're I, yeah and <laughs> yeah that was that was like pretty legendary status mm. <laughs> that, that night that i do feel like i peaked in that moment and <laughs> Ever well, since then. <laughs> Thankfully you didn't. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> or yeah. maybe I bought it out. Maybe that was what I thought of. We don't know. <laughs> it was just uphill from it there. Was, it was an extreme. It was either one of the two. It's like kind of TBD. Yeah. We, we don't know. But here we are, drinking whiskey and talking about Rebecca. I think this is a good drink for this episode because it's like a dark and moody episode. It is. Well, and this is this is an intense drink. I yeah, mean, it's, it is. So it's equal parts Amaro vermouth and whiskey um for this i used an, an indian whiskey oh i've never heard of an indian which whiskey. apparently uh india has like a very large whiskey culture which i learned from my the guy who cuts my hair he was like you need to go down to the whiskey shop which is like this san francisco establishment like the people wear kilts it's like next level they have like just whiskey from all over the world and they have like insanely nice bottles that you can't find anywhere else like it's super cool you can also get like a tartan like whatever your tartan is or like your family coat of arms if you're (laughs) scottish like wait this is like going yeah we need to go there (laughs) yeah we need to go we need to get like matching like well not matching kilts because my family is like the ramsey yeah mine is the shaw family but we should definitely get something like matching together we yeah. should duel. <laughs> we'll, have a ba- we'll have a battle. Wait, okay, this is unrelated to this episode, but again, we're tangential, Whatever. so here we go. Um, have I ever told you what my Scottish clan battle cry is? Like, the Shaw clan battle cry? No, please tell me. I'm surprised I've never told you this, because it's amazing. Um, the Scottish Shaw family, or Shaw clan battle cry, is Fear Not the Cat. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, fear not the cat. So, cheers, cheers to that. <laughs> wow, I feel like that needs to be my battle cry now. I know. I honestly it should be everybody's, but I, I just went straight Irish whiskey on this one, and um, that super cute Amaro that we got for our episode a couple episodes ago. I don't remember what mo- what movie that was for, but it was. Oh, it was for. Um, it was for Dial M for Murder, I think. It was. Yeah, yeah the cherry right. spritz. So right. yeah, that Amaro is amazing. And then a sweet vermouth, and I used a little um, a little twist of lemon to kind of top it off. So Yes. Cute and thing. you know what? I have to say, I'm usually not a whiskey fan. This is really intense, but I'm actually kind of enjoying it now that I've had good. sips. So I think you and I are both really big fans of Amaro and sweet vermouth, because it's like Negroni yeah. tasting. So yeah. it kind of masks the taste of the whiskey. Um, if you're not a big whiskey fan, this is like probably a good one to start with and you like other strong flavors in my opinion, but I'm a big whiskey fan, so I don't know. um, (laughs) You're like, I couldn't tell you really. (laughs) really I'm going to tell you anyways. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, I'm going to give you my opinion because that's who I am as a person. (laughs) 
Well, we um, have opinions. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just jump right into it. Um, we'll start with some fun pre-production or kind of like social cult, like social, um, like ta- like the time that this movie came out. Some facts about that, and then we'll jump into like some watch notes and then some fun facts to end it with. So, um, Rebecca phenomenal movie I, I was a huge fan of this one it was released in 1940 and it stars uh, sir lawrence olivier joan fontaine george sanders and judith anderson as mrs danvers um <laughs> crazy fucking bitch <laughs> she's she's actually like psycho so like she's movie. yeah she's, she's amazing next level yeah next you, level you love to hate her you do um so this movie was produced by our good friend david o selznick which um, <laughs> you might recognize this was this was clearly during a time <laughs> when they were friends because if you remember david o selznick went on to be uh you know he, his, he was the, the inspiration, inspiration <laughs> for a lot of the character traits uh for the villain in rear window the so. literal murderer in rear window <laughs> so yeah, this was produced by David O. Selznick. Um, it was adapted from a super popular novel at the time called Rebecca by Daphne du Maurier. And I think Hell that yeah. was published in 1938. So it was pretty fresh and it was like really popular at the time. So um, there's some fun Oscar facts for this one. This is Hitchcock's only movie to win Best Picture. Uh, our boy was robbed, I think, but didn't know this, he had another movie nominated for Best Picture that same year, and that movie is The Foreign Correspondent, which I have never heard of, and I'm sure you'll watch. And... <laughs> I was gonna say, I've also never heard of this, so... Yep, uh, apparently we're gonna have to watch that at some point, <laughs> so... Alright. Um, yeah. It also won for Best Black and White Cinematography. I think at that time they had, co- like, there were two different categories. There was mm-hmm. um, color and black and white cinematography. Got because it. Technicolor was... I think being used because of Gone with the Wind and stuff like that. Um, so Hitchcock was nominated for Best Director, but lost to John Ford for Grapes of Wrath. Lawrence Olivier was nominated for Best Actor, but he lost to Jimmy Stewart for Philadelphia Story. And honestly, I'm okay with that because yeah, that's fine. I wouldn't say that this is like his finest performance. It's definitely, it's definitely not. I. It's interesting because like Lawrence Olivier in movies that aren't Shakespeare are like, he's not my fave. <laughs> like, he's not really my favorite. Like, he's okay there's, in this. There's but... something, like, a little bit aloof about him that makes me, like, uncomfortable. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't know what it is, but it feels like he's not... Yeah. He's, like, not, like, 100% dialed in, if he's you know not, what I mean. He like, t- it's 100%, and I think that it works for this role, but... You know, yeah, that's where but there were still moments where I maybe I was meant to be uncomfortable, but I was uncomfortable. Yeah, and I think uh, <laughs> we'll definitely talk about it because I was uncomfortable as well. <laughs> but uh, Joan Fontaine was nominated for Best Actress, uh, lost to Ginger Rogers for Kitty Foyle. I haven't seen it, but um, must have been pretty good because I thought Joan Fontaine was amazing in this movie. Oh, she was incredible. Uh, and Judith Anderson was nominated for Best Supporting Actress, but lost to Jane Darwell for Grapes of Wrath. So. I watched Grapes of Wrath a long time ago, and I'm sure she deserved it. (laughs) uh, Mrs. Danvers is also number 31 on the American Film Institute's top 50 villains list. (laughs) Oh. I honestly think she should be higher, but whatever. So, um, this is really funny. This movie has a lot of random connections to Gone with the Wind. Um, Oh. (laughs) Yeah. And um, anybody that's ever spoken to me my entire life will know that I despise that movie with my entire being. (laughs) 
but <laughs> so then you'll be happy when like everyone was like, yeah, we're gonna like not have this movie on our streaming service. Oh anymore. yeah, I was very exci- I was very excited when people were like, maybe we shouldn't have this movie as part of our cultural lexicon, but whatever. <laughs> That's a different. You know, conversation. I've actually never seen it. It's fine. I watched it. I'll tell you if, what you need to know about it. I took one for the team. Don't need to ever see it. It's not oh, worth it. I'm not even going to tell you anything because it doesn't matter. <laughs> it really doesn't. It really doesn't matter. But um, it's really funny. It has like tons of random connections to Rebecca. So it won, Gone with the Wind won Best Picture the year before Rebecca won. Okay. David Oselznik also produced Gone with the Wind. Lawrence Olivier was married to Vivian Lee, who played Scarlett O'Hara in Gone with the Wind. And Joan Fontaine was Olivia de Havilland's sister, who played Melanie in Gone with the Wind, and is also, like, a very famous actress. Apparently, they had a very notorious, like, family feud. They, like, hated each other, so. Honestly, I live for that energy. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, Pretty, pretty interesting. So, yeah, let's just jump into it. Um, Basically, uh, just kind of, like, a quick plot summary. Also, there's, like, three pretty good plot twists in this movie. Spoiler alert. We're going to talk about them, so if you haven't seen it and want to, right now is a great place to stop and go watch it and circle back. <laughs> but, uh, Rebecca is basically about a young woman who marries a mysterious widower named Maxim de Winter, and upon moving to his family estate at Manderley, uh, the young woman finds that she is living in the shadow of his dead wife, Rebecca, and that her new husband might have been involved in her death. So that's kind of what it's about. Yeah, um, and again, spoiler, the young woman is not Rebecca. (laughs) Rebecca is the dead wife. So that, like, that's something that I think before we kind of dive into the, like, analysis of this movie, it's kind of important that we talk about a couple of things that I think help um, when we're analyzing the structure and they kind of help understand uh, the mood of this movie. So the first thing is the young woman never has a name. Like, we never find out what her name is in the movie, uh, she... Wait, is that true? We don't know her name. Oh my god. Yeah, so she, throughout the whole movie, she's all either called the second Mrs. DeWinter or the new Mrs. DeWinter or Darling or something like that. Like, we never find out what her name is. Oh my god, yeah. I did not even and, put that together. Yeah, and it's really important when you're, like, in understanding that character. And um, that's actually really true to the book. So David O. Selznick really wanted this movie to be, like, pretty true to the book. Um, and that's like a pretty true thing with the book. So in the book, she's the narrator and they, she never has a name. Like we never find Mm. out what her name is in the book. And so another important, um, thing that we need to, I think, like think about when we're talking about this movie is that we never see Rebecca. Like we never see her as like a physical person. Like she's, we don't, but we don't even see like a picture of her really or anything. There's yeah. Yeah. We we never see a photo of her. We never see her in flashbacks, everything. Like she's definitely present in the movie and not as like a ghost or a spirit, but Mm -hmm. her presence is like very much in the movie and it's the movie is about her, but we never see her or like see a photo of her or anything. So I think that's super interesting is like the main woman of the movie is not named and um, the, you know, the dead wife who is like who the movie is named after Rebecca is, we never see her. So it's, it's super fascinating. And I think those are two like super important things um, that kind of set up like the general mood of the movie. So um, the first one, like, quarter of this movie is very different than the last three quarters of this movie. True that. Um, And I don't know, I'd like to get your take on it. Like, we'll dive in a little bit, but 
I found, so it, the movie starts with the young woman, and we can just, like, call her Joan Fontaine, I don't know, like, she doesn't yeah. have a name. So, Joan Fontaine's character is a traveling companion to this, like, crazy rich lady named Mrs. Van Hopper, who's, like, so weird. <laughs> who's just, like, she's just, like, the worst, and she's, like, one of those, like, rich women who's also just, like, very, I don't know if she's, like, nouveau riche or, like, what the vibe is, but she you can tell that she's just very, like gauche I want to yeah, say she's like, definitely she, and like she nobody likes her strong. no <laughs> like, one likes her yeah. she's like a little bit too aggressive yeah she's very like overt and weird yeah and so it's we see Joan Fontaine's character for the first time at Monte Carlo which is like she's traveling mm-hmm. with Mrs. Van Hopper as her traveling she's like a paid traveling companion um and they're at Monte Carlo um we like to call it Monty, as they call it in the movie. As they call it. Ah, uh, yes, you know, Monty. Ah, uh, yes, Monty. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this is, like, the first look that we get at Joan Fontaine's character. And mm-hmm. um, I'm just going to say it. Nobody plays Meek like Joan Fontaine. She is. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it here first. Uh, she is the definition of Meek. And that's pretty much all there is to say about I mean, her it's character. So, it's so interesting because, like, you want her... Well, maybe this is just me, but, like, I wanted her to be, like, fire... You know what I mean? Yeah, like, you of, like, want fiery her to be, and, like, yeah. shooting back at him. Because, like, he's being... The, the guy, Mr. DeWinter, is being very sarcastic and super oh, yeah. dry. And you kind of want him her to be, like... Yeah, she doesn't. You know? She kind of just like bows her head and is just like she very, does. She yeah, just is very sulky. shy. She's yeah. super shy, very clearly inexperienced, and like not an aristocrat. And I think, and just very uncomfortable with the situation. Yeah, very uncomfortable. Like she feels very. She, you know, from the second that the movie starts, that she is clearly out of place. Oh yeah, very out of place. And they even go as far, I think in how they costume her. Like, they make yeah. her look like a young girl. Like, in the beginning they of do. the movie. Like, she's wearing, she has, like, bow ties in her hair and is wearing, yeah. like, tweed and, like, shoes and socks like a schoolgirl. It's, like, very strange. So they very, they definitely, like, she's often referred to as child. Like, Mrs. Mm-hmm. Van Hopper calls her child or, like, Mr. DeWinter calls her, like, young girl or something like that. So it's, that's really creepy. It's, like, very weird. It's the, the relationship... Mm-hmm starts out very uncomfortable in my opinion but um so her character I think they do a really good job at kind of um setting her character up and she's this like very meek inexperienced shy pushover and Mrs. Van Hopper is super overbearing so she Mm -hmm. kind of Joan Fontaine's character kind of like her personality is entirely shaped by whoever she's like attached to at any given moment um she has, like, zero personality trait of her own. <laughs> like, pretty zero. much throughout the movie. I mean, almost throughout the entire movie. No, you I, just kind of feel bad for her because yeah. it's, like, very, like, deer in the headlights, like, what's going on. It's really mm-hmm. not until, I would say, like, later yeah. in the movie where you see yeah. her kind of coming into her own and, there's, like, taking ownership of her character. There's definitely, like, a very specific moment and thing that happens mm-hmm. that, like, makes her shed her, like, naive kind of personality and we'll definitely talk about that because that's which was great because it was high key super annoying (laughs) yeah it was super annoying that scene deserves a great a breakdown because it's it's really good but um so Joan Fontaine's character is like out by some cliffs like sketching or whatever she's like sketching but she's like a bad artist I don't like I don't know she's like my father was an artist and now I draw these weird things trying to 
live up to him. Yeah, it's very strange. But she's out sketching, and she sees Maxim de Winter. She doesn't know who he is, but she sees this guy who is Maxim de Winter standing on the edge of a cliff. And I like to her, I think it looks like he's about to jump. Yeah. And so she like yells out like, "No, don't do that!" <laughs> Basically, and he's just like gets really mad and like storms off. Storms off. And, and then the, she's like, "Oh no!" Yeah. <laughs> then she's like, "Okay." And then so later, her and Mrs. Van Hopper are having tea. And Mrs. Van Hopper sees Maxim de Winter and, like, invites him over because he's, like, a very famous, wealthy aristocrat. And um, they have tea together. And they're, like, Maxim and Joan Fontaine's character have, like, a little look. Like, they have a little yeah. chemistry. They have, like, you know, they're making yeah. eyes at each other, but she's also just, like, incredibly submissive. She's and also super awkward. <laughs> Mrs. Van Hopper is, like, high-key trying to get with him. Oh, yeah, Mrs. Van Hopper's trying to get with him. She's, like, probably 65. <laughs> he's, she like, is... in his 30s. Yeah, I mean, he's like, he's a silver fox, he's, you know? He's like, handsome, yeah. I mean, Lawrence Olivia is good looking, so it's, you know, but still kind of weird. But um, anyway, so he leaves, like, very rudely, because he's, you know, kind of... He's, like, everyone, kind of rude. He's kind of rude, but everyone thinks it's because he's mm-hmm. mourning, in mourning, um, and this is where we first hear about Rebecca. So Mrs. Van Hopper talks about how, like, very briefly, he talks about how he's, like, really broken up because of the death of his wife, because mm-hmm. he simply adored her, and that's, like, the first thing that Joan Fontaine's character hears about Rebecca, and that... Maxim really loved her so yeah she automatically is like oh he was trying to she probably thought he was trying to jump because he's like sad yeah even though she died like years before this but um anyway so that yeah that's the first time we hear uh that's the first time we hear about Rebecca and um Maxim de Winter and Joan Fontaine's character end up spending a lot of time together at Monty, and uh, that's this. This is why, like, I don't really like this part of the movie. It's like the first, like, mm-hmm. maybe twenty minutes of the movie, but I found it really choppy. I don't know if you like. If no, you it was it was very choppy, and all of it just felt like a little bit awkward. Yeah. Like some parts just kind of dragged, and then other parts were just like a split second. Like there was kind of some character development happening but also just not like it just felt yeah very it was very out of sync it was very out of sync and like not really in sync with the mood of the rest of the movie and um no and i think that's because like i think manderley which is the the mansion that the de winter like family lives in is like a huge character in this movie yeah i was gonna say that that home is basically like an additional part of the cast yeah for sure it's an incredibly important part of the story yeah it is it is not the MacGuffin it is not (laughs) alas it is not the MacGuffin I don't really think there is a MacGuffin in this movie Rebecca I feel like Rebecca's the MacGuffin she is but like she's kind of important no (laughs) that's true never mind I take it back maybe like we'll think about it we'll 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 ponder because there's got to be one I don't know um, but anyway, so they end up spending a lot of time together because Mrs. Van Hopper is like sick or something. So there's one scene and this is, uh, where our today money comes in. Lydia's favorite thing. Ugh, so there's one yes. scene where, uh, they're having breakfast together and it, it cuts to the menu and the prices of things are very strange. For example, it says that a pair is 12, uh, francs. Well, it said 12, but we assume it's francs because it was 1940 and the euro did not exist yet. So, um, 
I did a little research. <laughs> oh, yes, I'm so excited. So uh, 12 francs in 1940 was about 24 cents in 1940. Oh. And so adjusted for inflation for today, that's about $4.40. So that's still pretty expensive. That's a pair. But we are in Monte after all. so. I mean, it's, it's those Monte Carlo prices. <laughs> those Monte Carlo prices. But yeah, so 12 francs is $4.40 today. <laughs> Wow. Oh, yeah. It was really the half of the grapefruit that got me. Yeah. Like... yeah. <laughs> the, the half of the pomplamoose. <laughs> it's like, this seems expensive for a little, half a grapefruit. It's a little expensive. Um, <laughs> but, but you are in Monte Carlo, so, you know. You are in Monte Carlo. But anyway, so throughout this whole time in Monte Carlo, uh, Joan Fontaine's character ends up falling in love with Maxim. And um, at one point, she, I think she, they're in the driving at one point, and she tries to get him to, like, talk about this, like, him jumping off a cliff or, like, talk about yeah. why he was doing that. And he just kind of, like, snaps at her and shuts her. He kind of, like, loses his temper a lot. Yeah. And he kind of just, like, snaps at her, and then she kind of just gets, like, really awkward and silent. And then he, like, does this weird thing where he, like, kisses his finger and, like, touches her forehead. It's, like, yeah. Like, and then she, it's so and then, strange. Like, but the worst part is, like, then she's, like, totally fine. And I was, oh, like, yeah. Really? Yeah, like, it's weird. It's weird. This guy is giving you every single red flag oh, yeah. in the book. Like, like I would have just gotten out of the car and been like, yeah, that's all right. <laughs> yeah, he told her she can get out of the car and walk if she wanted to, and she did And not. I said, girl, you should have, but girl, that's okay. But, uh, it, it was giving me, like, major, like, Twilight vibes before, like, oh, you know yeah. what I mean? A lot of submissive, dominant situations going on here. Yeah. But I think she, so she's under the impression that he's, like, shutting her down because he still is in love with his dead ex-wife, yeah. dead wife, and um, he doesn't well, want to talk she, about it because he's sad. Like, that's... Yeah. That's yeah. Well, I think she also thinks that he sees her as kind of, like, a child, like, not someone who's really mature or sophisticated or even, like, kind of an equal to have a conversation like that with, like... She's not, that I think is how she kind of understands herself within that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And she definitely is, I think, grappling with the idea that, like, okay, like she's in love with him, but for what she thinks is that for him, she's just kind of like a rebound to forget about his. Well, I I don't even think she, she thinks that she's a rebound at this point. She just thinks that he's just being like, nice to her because he has like good manners or whatever right okay and then he don't well, you think yeah i agree i think yeah i think later it's probably like later on that she feels like yeah it's gone because he ends up proposing yeah. <laughs> like he ends up oh proposing. yeah oh yeah by the way yeah he ends up proposing because she's like about to leave and she comes to say bye and he's like nope you're you're gonna like come back to Manderley with me and then she automatically assumes it's like as his secretary which is so awkward it's so sad she's like oh do you need like a secretary or something he's like no like you're gonna be my wife and she's, and she's like, oh, like okay. oh got it got it got it cool yeah, well, that's cool. what I was gonna say too that was my second <laughs> that was, guess that was actually my first one but I just wanted to like see how you'd react <laughs> so yeah they end up getting married and well, Mrs. Van Hopper comes back up and like Maxim says that I'm she's gonna marry me and come back to uh Manderley with me. And Mrs. Van Hopper takes that time to remind uh Joan Fontaine's character that she is nothing like Rebecca and that she never will be. And it kind of reinforces this idea that Rebecca is still like this perfect, sophisticated, glamorous mm-hmm. woman who's like Maxim is still like devoutly in love with and she's like gonna be this wedge between her and Maxim pretty much mm-hmm. throughout the whole movie. So it's just these these like things that keep reoccurring about Rebecca, these ideas that like of who she is and how everyone adored her and like all this stuff. So 
Maxim and uh, the now second Mrs. De Winter, which is like the closest thing to a name we, we get for her. They leave Monte Carlo and uh, they go to Manderley. And um, like we kind of talked about this, but like the editing of the scenes at Monte Carlo compared to Manderley are just so different. I find like, yeah. you know, like we were saying that it's super choppy when they're at Monte Carlo. Manderley is like, you get so many long tracking shots. Yeah. And it's it just like, the passage of time at Monte Carlo happens so much faster than it does at Manderley, and I just like, yeah. I I like the last three quarters of this movie way more than like the first quarter of it, and it just yeah. it just feels like once they get to Manderley, it's like that's when the movie starts basically. Do you feel like that was like intentional, having such kind of a choppy experience at the front, or do you think that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it could have been intentional because I think mm-hmm. you're supposed to be uncomfortable with the relationship I think that it like I think that it's supposed to well I don't know but like for me what it what it portrayed was that this relationship happened like very quickly with like no for like no reason (laughs) like it's basically over a week yeah it's basically over like a week and they end up meeting and like then he proposes marriage because she's about to leave and there's like no moment where you feel like oh these two people are like super in love with each other they're super happy and in love i mean the whole the whole thing too that i thought was interesting and i think it makes you feel very like you really feel for for the main character our protagonist um it's like the whole time maxim is talking about like oh well i should have done this like you should have had a dress like you should have had flowers they like you know just do some type of marriage license thing and he like buys her like a random bouquet of carnations outside of city halls like this woman walks by in a big wedding dress and he's like sorry like should have had that but like we didn't so it's, it kind of feels like she's just kind of everything's being really rushed and she's kind of losing out on these opportunities too like she's really young and kind of like this like ingenue but she's not having these experiences and part, part of it, I think, is because he's already had those with Rebecca, so it's not as important to him. But he's also, like, uniquely aware of the fact that... She hasn't like, had those That yet. she hasn't had those, and, like, and she should. Right, maybe, and I know? think, like, I think what we're supposed to think in that moment is that, like, oh, he's had all these with Rebecca, and those, yeah. those were really great moments for him, and he doesn't want to relive that because he's still sad about her death. Yeah, and he's just being really nice by, like, trying to be, like, I'm aware that you, you never had these experiences. Yeah. But I think to your point, it's, like, it's really important because, like, those kinds of experiences and those um, kind of milestones in a woman's life are – those are part of, like, a woman's growing up and becoming a woman. And the fact that she mm-hmm. never has them kind of makes her remain this, like, girlish yeah. figure. Well, I think it puts her in, like, this weird space where she's not a girl anymore, but she's not, like, the woman of the house you know what I mean? She doesn't have that kind of same level of, you know, femininity or, you know, kind of coming of age that, you know, you would expect. And she doesn't gain, there's nothing happens for her where she is able to gain any confidence that she is. Yeah, absolutely. Like, she doesn't feel like Mrs. DeWinter, basically. No. She's like Mrs. DeWinter in name only. Right, you know? pretty, yeah, pretty much. And I think, like, I don't think we talked about this, but um, I'm pretty sure the eight like i'm pretty sure maxim de winter is supposed to be in his like late 30s early 40s and she is like in her mid to early 20s so there's like an mm-hmm. age gap between them for sure um yeah i think I, I also think like one thing that is interesting i i think one thing the reason one of the reasons that like the monte carlo scenes are very different from the manderley scenes is that rebecca her presence isn't there yet and i think her presence really sombers the movie a lot and like it creates oh, it does. mood 
And I think yeah. that's another that's another thing. And um, again, we're not at uh, the giant gothic mansion of Mandalay, <laughs> so that is not the same vibe as Monte Carlo. <laughs> but um, we arrive to Mandalay, and it is pouring rain, and they're driving in a convertible. So that kind Which of is honestly amazing. Weird, weird <laughs> choice, but okay. Uh, but yeah, so that kind of sets up this mood of like Manderly is like dark and stormy and mm-hmm. they get there and it's the shot of them walking in where it's just like a close up of her face looking mortified <laughs> and you see all of the servants are lined up and then like you see like, uh, this is where we see Mrs. Danvers for the first time and she like walks towards the camera and like gets really close to the camera and she is terrifying. So her eyes are I don't know how to put this but they're like <laughs> swir- like they're almost like like you can just tell you know what I mean like they're like dark abyss but they're like swirling I don't know how to describe it but yeah they I don't are, know if uh... she always looks like that or if she just was <laughs> able to channel that for this movie but like she is terrifying her hair is super austere like everything about her you can just tell like this woman is like bad news and is going to be a big problem. <laughs> yeah, very austere is a great word. And uh, I read when I was reading some stuff about this movie, I read a description of her as a chilly individual. <laughs> so, Ooh, yeah, I mean, yeah, is, this, she is. This definitely... woman is cold. <laughs> yeah, we'll she is <laughs> very cold, and we will talk about it. So it comes out that um, Mrs. Danvers is like the head housekeeper for some mm-hmm. reason I don't know because I don't know why Maxim kept her on because she came with Rebecca. It comes out that mm-hmm. she came with Rebecca. She was Rebecca's like ma- like maid basically, and uh, she was also like a super close confidant of Rebecca and mm-hmm. still very much obsessed with her um, and very bitter that there is a second Mrs. De Winter and she pretty much just seen sees Joan Fontaine's character as like a woman trying to like take Rebecca's place and so she's like mm-hmm. not pleased basically so um there's a scene where Joan Fontaine's character like wanders into Rebecca's wing she had like her own wing and uh Mrs. Danvers has kept it exactly the same as when she was alive and that it has been like a few years I think since she's died not sure again why Maxim wasn't like hey let's just like renovate or something like get rid of this but she walks into this and she's like exploring this room and uh mrs danvers like catches her in there and like Mm -hmm. to be fair i don't think anybody told joan fontaine's character that she couldn't go in there but apparently she like wasn't allowed to be i mean it's like kind of implied and after everyone is like super weird about everything with rebecca like i I mean, it, it definitely was one of those. And I think she had some trepidation about going she in. She did, but, but I think she was she curious. She was just so curious. Yeah. yeah. She was, I'm like, fair, because nobody will talk about Rebecca. Or no like one will anything. tell her really anything. But she's everywhere, and everything is to her taste. So the entire house is like, her, like, Rebecca's, like, presence is so prominent so like Mm -hmm. everything down to like the stationery the silverware the china the napkins the pillowcases the towels like all of her clothes like everything is monogrammed anything that can be monogrammed is monogrammed with rebecca's initials on it like this girl was like east coast preppy before it was cool she was like (laughs) we need to put a monogram on everything like oh yeah like pulitzer who like like straight up (laughs) j crew pay the extra ten dollars for the monogram Like this, this, this bitch paid a lot of extra ten dollars. A lot of extra ten dollars. Every, everything is monogrammed. No, but you're so right because I didn't even think about it. But I mean, for a, a beautiful old estate where there are just oil paintings of people everywhere, 
there's nothing of her. But to your point, her presence is everywhere and constantly people are pointing out all of these little things that were her favorite or, you know, the flowers are arranged in a way and they're like, oh, well, that's, you know, that must have been Rebecca who taught you that because she just had such immaculate taste. Like just everything is is about her in some way or even the menu is, oh, these were all of her favorites and then you get to pick a sauce because she was so particular. What are you going to pick? And then like the new Mrs. DeWinter is like, well, fuck, I don't know. Like whatever you, whatever she would have wanted. <laughs> She's like, I'm sure it would be fine. Like whatever she would have yeah. wanted. So this kind of starts to like change the new Mrs. DeWinter's character to be like, okay, I just need to be like Rebecca basically. And she just is like, okay, I'll just do everything to be mm-hmm. like whatever. Cause clearly that's what everybody likes. And so, um, we should talk about the scene in the bedroom because this yes. is really interesting. And, uh, so Mrs. Danvers catches the second Mrs. DeWinter in, uh, Rebecca's bedroom kind of exploring and also the view fire 10 out of 10 it's uh, the best room in the I house. was gonna say the room fire yeah. well the room like, is fire it's like a, the I'm, room is like bigger than any house I've ever lived in. I I was just gonna say I was like wow and that that room is bigger than my entire apartment yep me too it is beautiful <laughs> I mean the finishing is like oh, perfect it's so, it's I, so pretty. and it has these like gauzy curtains so it's almost like you're walking into like another realm like it's, it's perfect yeah it's uh it's amazing and so Mrs. Danvers, this is where we get a little bit of Mrs. Danvers' vibe, basically. So yeah. she kind of start. we kind of, like, start learning about Rebecca a little bit. Um, so this is where she tells the second Mrs. DeWinter, like, how much Maxim was in love with Rebecca and how sad mm-hmm. he was when, when she died. And then kind of tells him, I think she kind of tells her, like, the story of, like, how she died. And basically, like, mm-hmm. we find out that she died in a sailing accident. Her boat capsized and Maxim had to, like, go identify the body. And it was, like, super traumatizing for him because he was super in love with her. And she talks about, like, all the stuff of, like, how they would go to parties together and everybody would be so jealous of them because they were so in love and, like, they had mm-hmm. the best, most happy marriage. And, like... And in all of this, she would always, Mrs. Danvers will always say, like, and I would wait up for her and she would tell me all these stories when I came home, Mm -hmm. when she came home and, like, she would tell me all these things that Maxim would do for her and, like, so then she talks about how, like, Maxim would always shower her with gifts and, like, buy her all these beautiful mink coats and dresses Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And basically the entirety of England was, like, obsessed with Rebecca is basically, like, what Mrs. Danvers is saying. So... This scene is super fascinating because it's a huge example of, um, so this, this movie was very, very true to the book, but this is a big example of where it actually wasn't true to the book. So what's really interesting about Mrs. Danvers' character, and it's, it's very different from the book, which is, I think, super fascinating. And, and I think I like the movie, I haven't read the book, but what I was reading about it, I think I like what they were trying to do with the movie a little bit better. So in the book, Mrs. Danvers is like older. She's like in her sixties, and she's like a very yeah. she's like a very jealous like mother figure. In the movie, Hitchcock wanted it to be so. The woman that plays Mrs. Danvers was like I think in her forties, so she's a lot younger. And um, Hitchcock really wanted it to be like a very clear like romantic jealousy. Oh, yeah. And that she was like really in love with Rebecca, basically. But yeah. our good old friend, the Hayes Code 
was like you can't have anything insinuating like any like homosexual relationship. Oh. So there were um there were like other versions of the script where it was like very very blatant that it was mm. like she was in love with Rebecca. So this is the closest they could get and um I personally think that it does have a lot of romantic over. Like before I read that it I does. was like yeah. she's obsessed with Rebecca because she's in love with Rebecca. <laughs> like that's yeah, the vibe no. that you get. That that comes out very clearly. And actually, I did read the book, like, in high school. And I do oh, remember okay. she was kind of like a, like, a dowdier older woman. So do you find that the, the, the jealousy and obsession is different in the movie than in the book? Yeah, because I think, to your point, like, when they're more of the same age, like, that romantic jealousy, I think, definitely gives it a different tinge. And I think, really, the, the key themes in this movie are around that romantic jealousy and and... I think that if you have someone who's older where it is kind of almost more of like a maternal like not jealousy but like a kind of like a maternal protection like protection like, yeah yeah I, I just think that it really changes the sentiment whereas this it's almost like her, then she becomes a clear rival to our protagonist in a way that I don't Mrs. Danvers was like cold and kind of mean in the in the book but it doesn't have that same tone it doesn't have the same tone i think it takes it to a whole nother level in the yeah movie, exactly sure. i like it i and oh i'm I really like glad that i know that you've read the book because i'm really excited to talk about the huge plot twist which is very different it's like the main the most important plot point is very different in the movie than it is in the book i'm so excited okay sorry jumping ahead <laughs> um but the one thing that the one moment though i just just to finish off talking about this uh, bedroom scene when I really was like oh this is like definitely like a romantic thing is like Danvers very erotically like caresses all of Rebecca's clothing all of her yes and, and she, like especially her like negligee her negligee which she points out is see-through and yeah. she would always like dress her in it and I was I, that's like a very sexually charged like moment yeah. <laughs> I was like oh wow that's all right like that's where this movie's going so yeah, I think it's, I mean, I don't think, to your point, like, yeah, I think it's very clear in the movie that that was where they were going. It's very different in the book. Like, they were not trying yeah. to do a maternal jealousy thing in the movie at all, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is, like, I think it's kind of an interesting, like, theme we see with Hitchcock himself is, like, he te- like he does this with fear and like horror a lot but he teases this possibility of nudity with that's like almost as risque as like actually showing nudity itself which is the same thing that he does with like horror stuff in like psycho or like suspicion which is a movie we'll probably talk about some point soon um so it's, it's really interesting is like putting the concept of like putting the idea in the mind of the viewer instead of like actually just showing it to them on the screen and kind of um expecting a lot of the viewer to like kind of fill in the blanks so yeah, yeah I think well, and I think it's so fascinating too for a character that we literally have no idea what mm-hmm. she looks like but throughout right. it they're kind of describing she has this dark long hair and you know this beautiful like porcelain skin like you can kind of you start to put together this picture but yeah they are very very racy in some of their descriptions especially around Miss Danvers like giving her baths after her events like you know there's a lot of this like implied nudity. Yeah, she does this thing where that she anything. actually like she actually like motions how she would brush her hair. Yeah. It's so creepy, but it's like it <gasps> does yeah, it like does a really good job like we know that Rebecca was beautiful. Like we don't even mm-hmm. know what she looks like, but we know that she was like supposed to be this glamorous, very sophisticated, very beautiful woman. So, um yeah, basically 
that that bedroom scene is very it's like kind of puts it over the top and eventually the constant reminder of Rebecca and her like glamour and sophistication convinces the second Mrs. De Winter that Maxim is still in love with the first mm-hmm. wife Rebecca um and I think that kind of coupled with his like random outbursts of anger whenever she's yeah. mentioned leads uh the second Mrs. De Winter to like to kind of like think that she needs to be more like Rebecca because he's yeah. loves that kind of person. Like she's like, okay, I need to be like more glamorous and sophisticated. Even though I think at one point he's like, don't ever wear black satin or pearls. <laughs> like don't ever change. What does <laughs> she do? She what shows up she in do? black satin and pearls. And she changes her hair and she starts to try to be like really sophisticated. And we actually have a scene where we see they're watching like video clips of their honeymoon of the second Mrs. Mm-hmm. Winter and Maxim's honeymoon. And we actually see that they like, they actually look in love for the first time. Like yeah. it's the first time we see them being like, oh, they, they actually like look pretty in love with each other, but we never saw that. So you still don't really think it. You're just kind of like, oh, that's interesting. That's like a different perspective of that relationship mm-hmm. that we haven't actually seen yet. Cause him and um, Maxim and the second Mrs. De Winter, once they get to Manderley, like they barely interact. Like they don't yeah, really. Yeah, she basically has her kind of her own wing. He's off, you know, managing the estate, and then she's left to manage this house where she is totally out of her depth. Like she's never managed a staff before. She doesn't, and she doesn't have any connections. So I just remember that one scene where she's supposed to be writing letters to everyone and doing all this. And she's like, who am I going to write to? She has like Rebecca's address book filled with all of these people, but she's like, I don't have anyone personally to write to because her family's all dead. Right. You know, she's the only one left. That's why she took this job to be, you know, the servant Mm -hmm. or not servant, but traveling. The traveling companion. Yeah. Right. Um, Because she didn't have anyone. She didn't have anything left for her. So it's just kind of this interesting so we see her kind of sinking into this like depression and I think that that scene where they're watching the films is so interesting because you realize that like it's almost like that moment was so fleeting that happiness and now they're kind of both in this place where you know she feels like Maxim's really being reminded of his wife now that they're back she feels Rebecca's presence everywhere she feels like she's never going to live up to that and like she's really unhappy yeah you know like her, her life is basically hollow right and she doesn't have anyone who she can trust exactly and I think Max I think like Maxim is pretty shady in that he knows that and he doesn't do anything about it like he doesn't even try to no. be like let me show you what you're supposed to do he's just like okay no, he basically I'm gonna do my business her. like yeah you do you like, he's like I'm going to London for a week goodbye and she's, and like, she's like okay what sauce do I pick <laughs> what sauce do I pick girl <laughs> hollandaise always come on <laughs> but come so on. we get this scene and this is the first introduction to the boathouse so they're taking a walk one night um i think mm-hmm. it's the same night that they are watching the video of their honeymoon they have like a little bit of a fight because she's trying to be like oh i'm like sophisticated and pretty and he's like i don't want you to be that way and she doesn't know why and so he's like, like i miss your weird like dowdy but also cool girl clothes <laughs> yeah kind of a weird kind of it's weird like i situation. love cardigans and like long tweed skirts so like could you, could hey, you please bring that back you you do you <laughs> am i right <laughs> So they go for a walk. I think they're just like, let's just, he's just like, let's get out of the house and like go for a walk. So they walk, they're walking, um, along Mm -hmm. like the cliff and they have their dog and the dog like runs down to like the beach. And so she's like, I'm going to go after him. And he's like, no, do not go down there. Cause there's a boathouse down there. And he's like, don't go down there. I don't want you to go down there. She goes down there anyways. 
And she goes into the boathouse, even though this creepy fucking, like, groundskeeper, like, answers the door. And she's like, well, I'm just going to go in here for a rope. It's fine. And, like, goes into this boathouse and gets a rope for the dog, takes the dog back up. And um, he, like, Maxim has, like, a, he gets really mad. And he's like, I told you not to go down there. I don't want you to go down to that boathouse. And then she thinks it's because it's, like oh, that's where Rebecca must have been when she went sailing and capsized, yeah. and it makes him sad to think about her. So then she's like, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do everything that Rebecca did to please my husband. Let's throw a costume party. <laughs> and so, she's like, because that's exactly what this situation that's what, needs. This situation needs a costume party. And then she's like trying to sketch some ideas for like a costume one of them is like Joan of Arc or some like suit of armor yeah. situation. I'm like, I I'm don't like, what a cute couple costume. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'll be Joan of Arc and you can be yourself because he's like, I will not be dressing up. That is my right as like the man of this house. So he's just like going. In he's suit. like, I hate parties. Yeah, he's truly which does. I was, well, he which does, should have like, been the first sign that well, maybe she shouldn't have thrown it. It's so true, and I think that's the thing is like. She's not picking up what he's putting down, and what he's putting down is that he doesn't like anything Rebecca did. <laughs> like, she's not Literally. not picking up on that. So, um, basically, she is like having a hard time figuring out what she wants to do with this costume situation. And Mrs. Danvers comes in and was like, "Why don't I help you?" And for some reason, she's like, "Oh my god, that's so nice of you. I will totally trust everything you say." So Mrs. Danvers is like, "Look at like all of these." portraits of all of these famous old de winters why don't you just pick one of them and like go as one of them and she's like ah and then mrs danvers is like ah how about this one with this dress it's it's maxim's favorite and she's like well in that case (laughs) so she's like oh my god thank you so much for not being sketchy mrs danvers i really appreciate you i really feel like we turned a corner after that day that you were super weird to me in rebecca's bedroom but like now it feels like we're okay like i'm so glad that we talked um yeah so she goes in this dress and she walks down the staircase and i hate secondhand embarrassment i like oh my god well the worst part is she is so excited she is excited she won't tell anyone what her costume is. It's like a surprise to everyone. She's no a, one gets she to wants see it. Maxim to so, be like super excited about it. So it's like a big fucking deal. It's you know what I mean? Deal. Like she makes it into this big deal. Also, like the entire county is like at this party or something. Like literally everyone. She like went through Rebecca's like weird fucking little guest book and was like, and you get an invite. I've never met you. You get an yeah, invite. Yeah, like duchesses and dukes and like all these people. She's like, new to winter, who dis? Come to a fabulous <laughs> costume ball. <laughs> new to winter, who this? This costume ball has everything. Everything. Um, Haunting dead ex wives, weird <laughs> curly hair. <laughs> Asparagus and hollandaise. Weird ringlets. Lots of sauces. A lot of sauce. A lot of sauce. True to form, picked by a dead woman. A lot of gothic energy. RSVP. Big big gothic energy only. Oh my god. It's so great. But what's really sad is that, like, when she says Maxim's name, because he's, like, not facing her, he's, like, excited. Mm -hmm. Like, he turns around and he's, like, excited to see her. And then he sees what she's wearing and he's just, like fuck no he's like go back upstairs and change right now and then she gets like really sad because he doesn't know she doesn't know why he got yeah. really mad so she goes upstairs and then she she like i think i can't remember how someone tells her or 
I think it's um the sister sister in law. Yeah, the sister in law or something says like her sister in law. Why would you wear that? Like Rebecca wore that last year, that exact yeah. outfit, and then she realizes Mrs. Danvers uh, is not to be trusted. <laughs> Which like girl, like, like why didn't you pick up that vibe? I was like. That was one of those moments that was really annoying. I was like, I'm going to need you to get it together just a little bit faster. Like, no one here likes you. Like, you can't trust anyone. Like, she needs to get that tattoo. Like, trust no bitch. Trust like, no ri- bitch. Write the, that on your arm. The only person <laughs> she can trust is, like, the um, mater D. Like, he's so chill. Yeah. Like, he's really He's nice. a chiller. She can definitely... That dog seems trustworthy. Yeah, the dog is... The and dog like, warms up to her. Maybe I think it was, Maxim, like, I think it like, was Rebecca's dog, but then, like, the dog starts warming up to her. And then Maxim... Yeah. We'll get to Maxim. <laughs> like, Maxim is, like, cool when he's not being, like, weird and angry. Like, no, his weird Maxim, angry outbursts I, are, like, like, disturbing. I hated Maxim, and then, like, the plot twist, I'm just like, oh, okay. Yeah. We're like, all right. So, we'll, we'll get to we that. Get but, so, we get, so, she, she runs back up to Rebecca's room for some reason. I think she goes to Rebecca's room. It might be her own. Yeah. Room. Yeah, it's Rebecca's room. So yeah, it's she, Rebecca's room. She goes up to Rebecca's room, and she's just, like, she, fig- she figures out that, um... Mrs. Danvers, like, basically fucked her over to embarrass her. And Mrs. Danvers comes in and is just like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> like, I got you, basically. And she goes, like, why would you do that? And, you know, whatever. Mrs. Danvers mm-hmm. basically says, like, you'll never be like her. You'll, yeah. you know, he loves her so much and you're never going to be like Mrs. DeWinter. You're trying to take her place. And she's, yeah. so the second Mrs. DeWinter is standing by, like, the the window like the ledge of the window and mrs danvers is pretty much trying to get her to kill herself yeah she's like you should just jump like you're you're worthless like nobody loves you nobody wants you here just jump and she's about to do it and all of a sudden we get an alarm sounding at the perfect time because a boat has run aground because there was fog and during uh, the, like, rescue of the crew, they find this, like, ship that had sunk and Rebecca's body was in the ship. So, big plot twist, the body Maxim had identified <laughs> was not Rebecca. <laughs> and everyone was oh, like, shit. oh, shit. Anyway, she's been underwater for, like, four years. Not sure how they were able to identify her so I know, quickly, I'm but... Like- Anyway. You have, like, you have, like, a dental record? Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. Really, like, yeah, we need to get some, we need to figure some stuff out here. But it is Rebecca's body. Um, so everyone, like, Maxim is, like, nowhere to be found. Second Mrs. DeWinter runs down to the boathouse because she's, like, he's probably in there because he's, like, sad. And this is, like, bringing up trauma of the woman that yeah. he loves. And she's just really wrong <laughs> about everything. Um, so, because. <laughs> so she goes to the boathouse. Maxim is in there. And Maxim, she's just, like, I'm so sorry. Like, this must be really hard for you because of how much you loved her. And Maxim is, like, wait a minute. There's been some miscommunication here because he's like, wait, do you think I love her? And she's like, well, yeah, obviously, like everyone is always talking about how much you love her. And she's like, he's like, uh, I hated that bitch. And you're like, she was actually the yeah. worst. And then so it turns out Rebecca is actually a massive bitch, and she um, was the worst. The worst. And everything and... everybody said about her was a total lie. So huge twist. Maxim never loved Rebecca, so now he confesses, like, this whole thing to her, and this is, I think this is a fantastic plot twist. So, 
Maxim confesses that he and Rebecca, he like hated Rebecca because they got married and um, their first mar- their marriage was basically a sham because on their yeah. honeymoon in Monte Carlo at that exact cliff where he was like look like looked like yeah. he was about to jump, she declared that she had no intention of keeping her vows and basically wanted to sleep with her cousin. <laughs> like, yeah, super creepy. Yeah. But um, uh, she said that she would like pretend to be the perfect wife and the perfect hostess for the sake of appearances but was not gonna like she was gonna sleep around and like not be true to him basically and uh she said she was like really mean and heartless and like all this stuff and she found out that maxim found out that she was having an affair with her cousin favel who is the fucking worst he's like the biggest jackass he sucks and that actor always plays like the worst person like his accent and yeah. his voice is just so douchey. Ugh. He's the worst. It's, he's the worst. I mean, he's pompous. I feel bad. Maybe he's, he's so a nice pompous. person, but like, yeah, he's totally always typecast yeah. as that role that he you is. just love to hate. Yeah, he's like that in All About Eve as well. He's like yep, the same. He and he's just like the most pompous ass. And you're just like, God, you just hate him so much. But he plays this guy named Favel or Favel or something. And yeah. uh, he's Rebecca's cousin, and basically they were having an affair. And um, Maxim went down to the boathouse to confront them one night. So, he, yeah. so Maxim's like revealing this to the second Mrs. De Winter, and mm-hmm. he he knows that the person on the boat was Rebecca, and that the person that he identified was not Rebecca. It was just like a random body. So he went down to the boathouse one night, and um, to confront her, to right? confront her about her affair. And then she claimed that she was pregnant. That and she was pregnant with not his child. Not with, though, with, with not, I think with, with her cousin's with child. With Chavelle's child. And then she was like taunting him and saying that like the estate was going to pass to somebody that wasn't in Maxim's line and that he couldn't do anything mm-hmm. about it. And like, just like taunting him with stuff. So they were basically having this like heated argument. And in the movie, uh, she falls and strikes her head. Like, they're fighting, and she steps backwards, and she falls over, yeah. like, some ship's tackle or something, and she... Uh, yeah, she hits, hit, her, she head hits her head and she dies. dies. And to conceal the truth, Maxim took the body out on the boat, and then he, like, scuttled the boat and, uh, like, sunk the boat. And then when there was, like, a body washed up on shore, he identified it as Rebecca, and then everybody yeah. was like, oh, she capsized, oh, and that's it. Yeah. So, very different than what happened in the book. <laughs> and in the book... And I'd love to get your take on this, because I haven't read the book, and the reason they did this in the movie is because of the Hayes Code. So, mm. in, in, so, the, so basically in the book, that whole sequence happens, and they're fighting, and Maxim straight up shoots her in the heart, <laughs> and she dies. Yeah. Like, that's, they, he shoots her during an argument, because she's, like, taunting him to, with all this stuff. So, the Hayes Code explicitly says that you have to punish a spouse who like murders their spouse in film like in a movie if a spouse murders their spouse they have to be punished and he doesn't get like he doesn't get punished in the book yeah um so they changed it in the movie so that it wasn't actually his fault it was an accident Yeah. yeah so um i'd love to get your take because i think that it actually creates completely different characters for Maxim and the second Mrs. De Winter because in the yeah. book when he tells her this the second Mrs. De Winter just she has zero issue with the fact that he shot his first wife she's just happy yeah. that he never loved her she's like oh my god he, so you didn't love her yeah because oh he, he basically was like he confesses that he's in love with 
her. Yeah. Like, he's just like, oh, no, I've been in love with you. Like, I love you. You're the only person I've ever loved. I've actually yeah. hated Rebecca. But, yeah. and so she's just like, oh, my God, great. Love that. Like, let's just pretend you didn't shoot anybody and, like, all this <laughs> stuff. I think that creates, like, two completely different characters. Yeah. No, absolutely. So, I don't know. Like, what's your take on that? Did you like the movie version better or... You know, so it's been a while since I read the book, to be fair, so I can't... Well, I mean, I I've, totally I've never read the book, and I'm part. like, I think, like, I think but it I makes think, more sense in the movie. Like, I think the movie No, makes more I sense. think so, too, and I think that it, it really changes Maxim's character, mm-hmm. because then he is someone who, you know, I think he was tortured by kind of what he had to do, and I think that's where a lot of the, like, pain that she was picking up on was coming from, was, like, that guilt around kind of, like, putting her out to sea like that, like, his anger towards her for the betrayal, and then, you know, the way in which she died, which wasn't of his own agency, even though he was really angry, I think makes it a lot more, like, forgivable, too, whereas in the movie, like, character for sure. it does. Well, it makes him a little bit, like, more, I don't want to say more broken, but, like, he is, it's not like he shot this woman and then, like, you know, that that's a lot more, like, cold-blooded. Well, that's and I think more, that, like, all of the red flags that we have been yeah. feeling in the movie were, like, justified. Or, like, yeah. we, if, this, in the book, I mean. Like, we'd been feeling in the yeah, book. Yeah, this be tempers justified. a lot of... Uh, it tempers a lot of it, and then you're like, okay, that's, like, why he was acting that way. There's kind of a lot of complexities that you then, as the audience, can imply around his behavior. But I totally agree with you. I think sh- shooting her creates two very different characters, both for... The new Mrs. DeWinter and how she handles it because an accidental death versus a murder are two like very different things. And then for Maxim as well, like he's he's kind of a murderer, but not really. Like it was an accident. Whereas in the movie he's or in the book he's a murderer. And then she's choosing to like go with it. Yeah, yeah. I mean she's done like in both the movie and the book, she's definitely like like taunting him to kill her like that's what she yeah and we'll talk no, about that later like, we find that out why. later but, yeah, yeah we find but, out why she wanted right that. but um so in the book you're kind of like okay like you know he was you know kind of in the heat of passion she was yeah. like, taunting him but it for me i'm just like all like if reading the if you're reading the book and that's what happens you're just like okay like all of this stuff that like the second Mrs. De Winter was feeling about why he's so angry and all this mm-hmm. stuff, like he, it's even worse. Like it's not that he was in love with his first wife; is that he like straight yeah. up murdered he, her. Like, well, he straight up murdered her, like in a very violent, in a way. very violent way. Whereas in the movie, you're like you're you're seeing him through her perspective, so she's mm-hmm. clearly spiraling and thinking like, oh my god, he's in love with his wife. But then you find out that like, no, he's just really like traumatized because like he's gonna be like accused of her murder when he didn't actually kill her but he had to like do all this stuff to cover it up and he's just really like sad about that yeah and um when he's worried about his family like he doesn't want to worry his family name like that is something that's really important to him and he had mentioned that like earlier on and he's really trying to preserve what it means to be a de winter and like not not being the person that leads to the downfall of his family for sure that was a big part of it and i think that's why he was like so i think that's why they emphasize like why it was such a big deal that she was like taunting Mm -hmm. him with the fact that the baby she was gonna raise as a de winter is not actually a de winter yeah and i think like in the movie you you get like a solidified like okay he's actually a good person it wasn't his fault and he was just like really like traumatized by this whole situation whereas in the book you get to question that a little bit yeah absolutely yeah so that's that's kind of 
basically my take on it, I haven't read the book, but like I thought that was a very interesting thing that they changed because it's a huge plot point in the movie. Probably mm-hmm. the most important one. But this is where we get... Um, the second Mrs. De Winter kind of like sheds her naivety and is like, I'm going to be this strong woman that like, all right. She's like, okay, let's bring it back. How do we make sure you remain how innocent? Do I, how do we fix how this? Do we how fix do we this? not you? How do we get you not arrested? Yeah. So, um, I, I think that one thing I, I briefly want to talk about about this scene there's just like oh man this scene is so good the way they film it they could have easily put a flashback in this and they didn't and what they did instead and we are so proud of that oh my because god I, I feel like this cinematography is brilliant because it's this not is, lazy it's brilliant it's, it's so it's very i've accurate. never yeah. seen anything like this where when he's telling maxim is telling the story of what mm-hmm. rebecca was doing and he's like talking about where she was in the room the camera is just tracking where he's saying Rebecca was in the room and like just tracking the whole room and it is it is so chilling like you're watching this and you're just like you feel you're like oh my god like she was here and then she moved here and then she walked over here and then she stood here and looked at Maxim here and it's just it's just tracking her whole entire movement but she's not there and it's Mm -hmm. so brilliant and I I've never seen anything like that before in any movie well it also kind of parallels how I think if I'm remembering correctly, how Mrs. Danvers was moving through Rebecca's room. So it's something that they use in other places, but what's interesting is the first time is it's really telling Rebecca's story and creating like, this is who she is. And then now this is his opportunity to tell his side of the story and who she really was and like what happened um, to lead to her death. So it's like, it's actually so brilliant. It's so brilliant. And it stays constant with this theme of like, Mm -hmm. we never see Rebecca, but she's always there. She's always there. And it's, it's just incredible. And I think, like, that situation causes the second Mrs. De Winter, like, as we said, to kind of shed her naivety. And it's just, she becomes this whole, totally other person, super confident. She knows what she wants. She knows the situation. She knows everything. Now she has all the secrets. Like, she knows all the secrets yeah. of the house. And um, I think Joan Fontaine, the actress does a great job at switching really subtly between these two types of characters. And it, I, yeah. think she's, I think she's brilliant. So, brilliant. basically, because Maxim identified the wrong body, the police are like, okay, we need to have an inquest. <laughs> and an inquest is like an old-timey, like, like we, we don't want to quite like, go to trial yet, but let's like figure out if like, we do. We're a little concerned. Like, we understand that you were like disturbed by the death of your wife, but like, it's a little concerning that, like, you yeah, couldn't identify there's the right like, person. Yeah, there's, like, some stuff we need to talk about. So the police are pretty much leaning towards the fact that it was a suicide. They're like, okay, we're, it's probably not a big deal. We need to do this inquest for formality, but it was probably a suicide. But then Favelle comes in and is just, like, attempts to blackmail Maxim, and he basically yeah. is going to threaten to reveal that... Uh, Rebecca was not suicidal because he knew that she was pregnant because she sent them she yeah. sent him this like note about going to a doctor and she and he thought he thought it was because she was pregnant with his child yeah. so he was gonna like reveal that she wasn't suicidal to like incriminate Max Maxim and like finding out that she was gonna have a baby that wasn't his so he shot her basically yeah or he killed her basically and so um what they do is they find out about this doctor who, uh, it turns out Rebecca was going to see this doctor in London and she was going under the name of Mrs. Danvers. And so they go to this doctor 
and um, they find out from the doctor that she was not actually pregnant, but she had terminal cancer, and she was going to die in, like, two months. And yeah. so, um, basically changes the, the vibe of everything. So that's when we find out, like, why she was trying to, like, goad Maxim into killing her. Yeah. Because she wanted to basically ruin his life from the grave. She wanted to ruin his life. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And so she had, she knew she was going to die. And so that gives the police enough information to be like, this was definitely a suicide. And, um, like, she was going to die anyway. So it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. So... That so Maxim is like he's free, everything is fine. He goes back to he's like driving back to Manderley. He's like driving in the middle of the night, not even stopping for like water or whatever. Because he they went up to London they to went have up that to conversation. London. Whereas and then Mrs. the second Mrs. DeWinter went Stayed, back to Manderley. Yeah. She wanted to go class. Right. Yeah. She wanted to go and he's just like, No, 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 go home. Like no. I'll drive through yeah. the night and I'll be I'll be there in the morning. So she went back home. So he calls her and he tells her, like, everything's fine. I'm coming back home soon. And then uh, Favelle calls Mrs. Danvers and tells Mrs. Danvers what happened mm. and, like, how everything is fine. Like, what ha- basically that none of it is Maxim's fault. Mrs. Danvers. Well, let's just, let's just go chronologically. So Maxim and his, like, estate manager friend Mm -hmm. are like driving back and they're just like oh is that sunrise and they're like nope it's like 3 a.m and they're like oh shit that is manderley burning to the ground (laughs) so they drive and they uh they see like manderley is like fully burning down to the ground and maxim and joan fontaine's character are like reunited and um it is it is uh revealed that mrs or yeah mrs danvers fully lit Manderley on fire. <laughs> like, she fire. 100% burnt it to the ground because she didn't want Maxim and the second Mrs. Winter to, like, have a happy life, basically, because Rebecca mm-hmm. was dead. So everybody escapes. Everybody's, like, fine, except for Mrs. Danvers. The last shot is, like, Mrs. Danvers is in Rebecca's room and a, like, giant ceil- like beam from the ceiling, like, collapses on her and she this dies. On her and die. Yeah. And so the final scene is, like, this close-up of Rebecca's pillowcase with her initials on it, and that's where the movie ends. Uh, <laughs> it's the bed so is, like, good. burning. Yeah. It's so good. It's so good. So, but, like, little did she know that she actually set everyone free because no one liked that fucking creepy-ass gothic house. Yeah honestly like they're all just like yeah she saged this is like a saging gone wrong (laughs) she like saged the shit out of that house straight up burnt it to the ground but anyway (laughs) so um we talked about like the most important like plot difference which i think is like kind of a fun fact but um there is a really interesting fact about the ending of this movie that i want to discuss tell me tell me not a secret that David O. Selznick and Alfred Hitchcock uh, didn't get along later in their in their careers, but it started on this movie. So Selznick brought Hitchcock to Hollywood specifically to make this movie. This was Hitchcock's first Hollywood movie. Oh, yeah. So Selznick no brought way. him over to make this movie, and um, they disagreed on pretty much everything, like right off the bat. And the ending was, like, the biggest point of contention between them. And Selznick really wanted the movie to end (laughs) with, like, the smoke (laughs) from the burning of Manderley to, like, rise into the air and spell a giant R. (laughs) Oh, my God. And Hitchcock was, like, 
fuck that. He's like, so that's a terrible Yeah, idea. he thought it was like so tacky. And so, as do I. Yeah, same. And so, what he did was that when Cells. So, Hitchcock filmed everything, he made all of his edits in camera, which means he only filmed scenes that he. Like, he filmed things how he wanted them to be so that the producer didn't have an opportunity to like use different scenes because there were only like certain things filmed. And so, what he did was that when Selznick. So, Selz, so there was some overlap between the post production of Gone with the Wind and the filming of this movie. Okay. And so when Selznick was, like, preoccupied with Gone with the Wind, um, that's when Hitchcock scheduled the filming of the final scene. So what he did, he was, like, he filmed the final scene and was just like, we're gonna just burn her pillowcase and do a close-up of the pillowcase. And so, like, that's, that, they never filmed, like, the giant smoke R in the sky or whatever. Oh my god, And they just did the pillowcase with her, like, and like then he initials. was like, oh, bummer, yeah, we don't actually have any footage of that. Yeah, so they, that's exactly what he did, because <laughs> in the screen, so Selznick, for the first, when he saw it for the first time, was in the screening after they had, like, edited it, and oh, shit. he was like, wait, that's not what I wanted to happen, and they were like, oh, shoot, sorry, we didn't do that other thing, and everybody's gone bummer. home, so we can't refilm it. And then, paid everyone yeah, and, the <laughs> pretty much. And then um, everybody ended up liking the way that it ended. So Selznick like didn't really have an opportunity to like fight it, and so they just kept it in the way that it's, the way that Hitchcock wanted it to be. <laughs> Honestly, that's like savage and like what I aspire to. Where it's like, mm, so your idea is terrible. I'm just gonna do mine, and then everyone's gonna <laughs> like it more. So then you have to agree that's with me. That's <laughs> pretty much, or else you look like an idiot. So or else you look dumb. And then, you know, so yeah, I pretty much terrible. like ruined their working relationship. And then uh, in Rear Window, like 15 years later, Hitchcock <laughs> made Selznick a murderer. The final assassination of David O. Selznick's character. <laughs> yeah, so um, that's... Wow, he really held on to that. He was like... Isn't that awesome? He really, yeah. It would have been funnier, though, if he just like at the end, like a giant R like emerged <laughs> in the smoke. Of the end of Rear Window? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And everyone's like, wait, what's happening? I'm so confused. And, and Hitchcock is like, the only person that matters will know. <laughs> if you know, you know. Dude, that would be like next hilarious? level. No, That'd it's incredible. so savage. I love that. I was reading that like cracking up. <laughs> I was like, the level of like savagery between these two people is incredible. And I think Hitchcock was quite a grudge holder. Because <laughs> really? f- 15, no, just... <laughs> 15 years later... So awesome! I I was like, I, that's the best fact I've ever read. It's so funny. Oh my god! But He's, I'm obsessed. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, but that's pretty much that's pretty much it. And I think like this movie is incredible, and I think it's one of Hitchcock's like exemplary films of like yeah. I'm gonna put the idea of what I want people to think like in their mind, and they can kind of like fill in the blanks. And instead of like putting it on the screen, he literally does that with the namesake of the movie Rebecca is never a character and I think it's really fascinating and and there just really isn't any other movie like this or any other story like this in in my opinion so I really liked this one um I don't know did you like it compared to the book I mean did you think it was good yeah I think it's I think it's better than the book um I mean it's been a while since I read it but I do think that for the reasons that you brought up I think that this actually tells a more compelling story that for me, like, I really like protagonists that I can relate to and that have, like, humanity and, like, redeeming qualities, and I think that this movie really accomplishes that. 
what I love about it is it leaves so much to the audience for interpretation. Like it really, it really isn't dumbing anything down. Like you as the audience are putting together all of these pieces, which I think is, it's a really fun movie to watch. Like I felt really engaged the entire time, especially once you're at Manderley. Um, like you almost feel like you're a character right there along with the new Mrs. DeWinter. Like I, I think that it's just so brilliantly done. Um, and there's so many twists and turns that I wasn't expecting. It, it made it fun to watch. I totally agree. So, and I think to your point, highly like, recommend. yeah, me too. And I told like to, to your point, I think like, you know, most people that are going to watch this are like not aristocratic. And so we're like, yeah. Oh yeah. Like I would totally act the same way in that circumstance. <laughs> I'm like, Girl, like, this also seems very overwhelming. I like too. who knows what fork to use. I too. I too. Do not know what sauce I would pick. <laughs> It's, Honestly, I'm like, good on you, girl, for breaking that fucking ugly cherub. Like, oh my I God. smash yeah. it off, burn it all to the ground. Fuck that you know? cherub. Like, she says it was an accident, but was it? <laughs> that cherub was tacky as hell. Like, you did what was right. <laughs> yeah, except for, like, someone almost got fired for that. But whatever. <laughs> yeah, but great, great film all around. I um, I think it's one of the more engaging ones in terms of like mm-hmm. one of, of Hitchcock's like black and white movies. It's definitely yeah. like one of the more uh, entertaining ones that actually keeps you like on your toes the whole time. For sure. I agree. I agree. And I also think that if you're not super into like scary movies or even more like thrillers, I think that this is kind of a nice it's nice because it, it feels, like, a little bit creepy and haunting, but it's not, like, super scary. Like, I didn't have any moments where I was like, ah, you yeah, know, like... Yeah, for sure. It's not, like, psycho, think, for sure. Yeah. I didn't feel super anxious after it did it, like I did with Vertigo, which left me feeling very weird, and I don't know how to feel about that. But, like, this wasn't one of those movies for me. Like, it, it has a nice resolution. Like, it does kind of leave it a little bit creepy on kind of the final image. Um, so there is, like, this dark tone that it takes at the end, but you also know that, like the two main characters are together and kind of can finally be freed from like Manderley. Yeah. And I think there's also a little hopefulness for sure. And I think one thing, like, I don't think I said this and I'm not sure you mentioned this, but, um, for me, after everything is confessed and every, everybody's like telling the mm-hmm. truth and towards the end, like it is very clear that the two main characters are in love with each other. Like They're that's not, yeah, that's not yeah. a, a one-sided thing anymore. Like for the whole, cause yeah. that's the kind of irksome thing about the movie is like the whole time you're like, Oh, this is really weird. Like she's in love with this guy who like, doesn't really like her, but he's yeah. just being nice to her. But like, by the end, you're like, oh, no, that's definitely not true. He's They both love each other very equally, and they're now treating each other as equals. And yeah, I think it kind of, I, what to your point, like, it definitely resolves in, like, a nice way um, where mm-hmm. you, you can, like, leave it feeling satisfied, I think. Yeah, I agree. Watch the original one for free on YouTube. Yeah, um, oh, yeah, that's right. Lydia texted me and was like, <laughs> where do I watch this? I was like, I found I it on YouTube. <laughs> I couldn't find it anywhere. I was like, what the... I was like, fuck. Which is really like, weird. I don't know why. It's like a really good movie. I'm not sure why it's like anywhere. Yeah. I have no idea. I but. think I watched the, the Cinema version. I did, too. <laughs> I did too. So shout out to Cinema out there doing God's work. Shout Bless out you. to Cinema for like an HD like version of this movie. Like <laughs> restoration. Because I was about to be like... How like do I need to like find like a DVD version? Yeah, it's like, do I need to rent this from like? I'm Red sorry. Or, like, what's do I need vibe? to buy like a VHS player? Like, how can I find this? <laughs> so good, but great movie. Highly recommend. Um, this is this is one of the ones I enjoyed quite a bit. So, 
I would say that for me, this is like top five yeah. out of oh. ones that we've watched so far. Oh my god, I would go that we've, far. We've I really never, enjoyed this one. We've never done rankings. We should do rankings. Ooh. Next episode, yes. we'll uh, next episode we'll reveal our rankings for our movies. <laughs> I can't wait. I'm excited. <laughs> So, uh, Lydia, have you decided what movie we're going to do for our next episode yet? Yes. Next <laughs> week's episode will be all about Strangers on a Train. Oh, yes. That's <laughs> such a good one. So creepy and amazing. I'm so excited. Cocktail TBD. Cocktail but... <laughs> TBD will we'll, uh, debut it on the episode, but it'll, it'll be, be perfect. It'll be a fun one. Well, uh, join us next week when we do Strangers on a Train, and um, on that note... Cheers! Cheers!